Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Uh, hi, kids. Welcome to the show. Just a game. Uh, I am me. You are you. Thanks for being here. As always, this uh, program is uh, inclusive. Everybody's welcome. Uh, we're also broadcasting live from Treaty 7 territory. Um we're jumping right in with uh, probably, outside of my dad, probably this most important uh, figure in my life, uh, probably the biggest mentor that had an impact on me, uh, Coach Ken Babby, who we worked together, it, it seems like yesterday, but it was many months ago uh, at SAIT, uh, but since then we always remained friends, and um, so much of what I have after is what Ken taught me just at say the Trojan way and community and giving back. And, and that really set me on a path. So every time I do a show, every time I do a podcast, he's, he's been part of it. Uh, he was part of a show we did way back on the radio called Hey Coach. We've did, done Hockey Canada podcast. We've done Hockey uh, Calgary podcast. We've done um, the the six uh, the six foot podcast during the during COVID he he's been on all the shows but this is finally we get him on to just a game so now now the show feels complete how are you sir first of all thanks for doing this uh, I'm doing well Rob good to see you again and thanks for having me um, I could go through the resume uh, but then we wouldn't have time for questions <laughs> uh, but I will say this eighty seven to fourteen head coach of the State Trojans in the ACAC you're the all time leading uh, championships winners in that league, regular season wins, playoff wins. Nobody's won more coach of the year. Uh, meanwhile, somehow in that time, you found uh, the opportunity to coach Team Canada's under-18s back in 2001. Uh, the Lotto Cup, you were an assistant coach in the Lotto Cup in 03-04. You coached Denmark for a couple of years in the U-20s, including winning uh, the B-Pool for, or I can't remember, is it B-Pool for, and then, yeah, yeah okay. B-Pool. Yeah, um, <clears throat> and then up, into the A pool with Denmark. Um, you have, I'm pretty sure you have coached on all continents now, uh, <laughs> but you've touched base in Scotland. You were in Japan. You've been all over the world. Uh, more recently, uh, you've trans transitioned into uh, para hockey and were the head coach of team Canada through a couple of Paralympics, but more recently led uh, Norway uh, in uh, the what was it? Was this the world championship tournament or? Yeah, it was world champ 2023 world championships in Moose Jaw. Other than that, what have you done? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been very busy as you can see. Yeah, I can and, see, uh, you know, it was, it's been a great career and, uh, looking for new challenges now. Um, look, okay. Let's, let's start there. Tell me a little bit about para hockey. I mean, it's, 
incredible sport. I, I love come and watch it. I, I love the athletes. There's, there's nothing about the sport to not like. Um, what state is it in right now from where you stepped into it back in 2014, almost a decade ago to now? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's still in a growth state. Um, I think it's definitely improved in terms of skill, speed, and uh, the physical uh, fitness of the players is much better than it used to be when I started. In general, most countries now are uh, the top countries in the world are playing a fast game and they have to be fit to play that game. But I still think there's a lot more growth that can happen in the game. Mm -hmm. It's like um, what's happened to stand-up hockey over the last few years. Um, so I think there's a lot of growth yet to happen, but I think it is progressing in the right direction. And now that you have more countries um, like China, Czech Republic, Czechia, I guess it's called now, these countries have emerged as a pool countries that can compete against the Americans and Canadians. So I think there's been a lot of improvement worldwide and it's going to continue to grow. And as you mentioned, it's an amazing sport. The skill level is, I mean, amazing to be doing everything they do with their arms at yeah. the speed they do it. Yeah. Especially when you watch the top players in the world, it's just amazing. And they all have their stories. They all have to battle some form of adversity, obviously to get where they're, where they are as athletes and uh, some really, really great people to work with. That must make them not a challenge at all. The opposite of that. It must be an easier task to work with an athlete who has overcome something. You know what I'm saying? That that, that, that nobody's going to come into that room and, and you know, the, the sympathy, they've all gone through something, right? Like right. you're not, you know, nobody's going to come in with a sad tale and, <laughs> and bring everybody down, right? Well, you know what? That's a good point. I mean, I think their adversity has, has basically been there, got them where they are. Yeah. Just to play the sport's not easy. Right. It's hard. It's right. a hard sport to play. Because you got to use your arms, you got to have a strong core, you got to sit in the sled, and it's just a uh, tough sport to play physically, let alone the mental side of it. So, but I think I think at the end of the day, though, they're still athletes. I remember when I started in para hockey, I asked some of the guys I was working with, uh, Billy Bridges and these guys that when I started, Steve Arsenal, I asked them, you know, you know, should I treat you guys different or you yeah, know? yeah? I said no, yeah, yeah. no, treat us like you would any other hockey team. I said, okay, sure you want. But, you know, that's how I approached it ever since. And um, just treat them as athletes. Just treat them, have expectations that you would any other team or athlete. And that's what they really uh, thrive on. I'll just get you to pull the mic in just a little bit there, Ken, yeah. on you. Oh. oh, no, you don't have to lean in. Just pull it in. Um, the one thing you m mentioned or missed when you mentioned the differences, <clears throat> the, the level and the boards. The one You were the first person to put me in a, a, a sled, and I went out at Winsport. And you take for granted the give that the plexi gives you. That is, that's not an option. Like it's, it's a different game because of the lack of giving the boards. Like it's, it's a physical rough game. It's the most physical game I've ever been involved in. And I've played football, coach football, rugby, and uh, hockey, obviously stand up hockey. It's an amazing uh, physical sport and the boards don't, doesn't give. And also if you get caught in a hit, you know, you can't spin off and get out of the way. Right. Like an open ice hit. Yeah. And there's some serious contacts that occur. And I'm amazed how few concussions are actually are in the sport. So it's definitely uh, a tough sport. And it's, uh, it's also uh, with, cause of the ability of two to using bilateral hands, both hands all the time, 
the speed of the stick, the speed of the hand motion is, is an amazing skill. How much did you have to learn in 2014? How much did you, you know, coming over successfully from stand-up hockey, but into para, how much did you have to learn? I had to learn a lot because you have to, um, you have to adapt. Stand, it's hockey's hockey, so it's still the same concept. of Game strategies are pretty much the same. But you have to uh, adapt some of the drills you do. You have to adapt uh, some of the styles, style you want to play, the systems you want to run, because it's a two-handed sport. It's a sport that doesn't skate backwards, so everything has to change from your angles, uh, checking and pursuing the puck, etc. So that part you had to change, but we still just modified things mm-hmm. and made, made it work. And, you know, you tried some things that didn't work, and you tried some things that did work, and you just had to learn that way. You mentioned the, the change in the last decade. It's got faster. It's got, why is that? Is it, is it a better athlete that's coming into it? Is it a more prepared athlete from, you know, from either development leagues or why is the, the athlete improving? Well, I think it is, uh, it's a bit, a bit of all of it. I think uh, the Americans are so fast. They're dominated by um, um, double amputees, which is a distinct advantage in the sport because you can pick and spin and plus you're carrying uh, less weight than, uh, than a single amp who has a full leg or some, some, some teams, uh, like in Norway, we had a lot of guys that were, uh, uh had paralysis. So they were, um, had two legs that they had to, uh, carry in their sleds. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a big factor in the games. I think the Americans and Canadians have set a standard of play that's high and it's caused the rest of the world to rise up to it. The ones, especially China yeah. The Czechs and some of these countries in Norway back in its day are trying to play the game at that speed level, that conditioning level. But I think it's a commitment to fitness, preparation, professionalism, and that's all been the growth of the sport in the last few years. What about development? I mean, are there opportunities for kids to, to get into the sport sooner to get better coaching in the sport? Well, in Calgary, there is uh, a good program in Calgary. Yep. Calgary Sledge Hockey Association runs a good program. AMP, the AMP program in Calgary has a sledge component. But you know what? In Canada, there's only pockets. Mm. So Ontario has a pretty good programming. Quebec has some really good programming. A little bit in the Maritimes. Not much in Manitoba. Not much in Saskatchewan. Alberta's strong. And surprisingly, BC doesn't have much of a, much of a program. So, you know, that's... That's the need, I think, in Canada, from my perspective. We have to come together with a united front and have a have a champion um, to take all these little pockets that are going on and bring under one umbrella right. to, to create a true development league. And the example is the Americans. The Americans have a full development program, and it's tied to their NHL teams. Every NHL team in the United States has a para hockey program under it. Mm-hmm. And so you have all those cities in the States with para hockey programs. They draw the kids in. It's exciting for the kids and the parents because they get connected to an NHL team. Yep. And then they have, you know, the best players play on this team, but they have younger groups and they have like a, basically a club system from top players to the bottom, young players coming into the system. So they have a pathway to get to the national team. Do we know, have any idea of how many potential players there are in our country? We don't. Okay. We don't. Okay. It's a, it's, um, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough environment to recruit in because everybody, um, there's no real database to go to, right? There's no right. system. Yeah. Like, and you're looking for hockey players and stand up boys or girls. You can, there's a system. You can go look at players, right? Yeah. yeah. Basketball, you can do that. Soccer, you can do that. 
when para-hockey, there's no real system, unified system across the country. And that's why I think the Americans also have the advantage. They have that system. Plus, um, the Americans draw a lot from the military. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? War, war, uh, war injuries and get those kind of soldiers returning back and they play on their team. So it's uh, it's a tough challenge, but it, it, we can do we can do a better job, I believe. The women's component to this, it's always, I, I've always struggled a little bit with this. I, you know, w- we've had women's national teams on stand-up for a long time now. Um, can you maybe just give us a little, from your point of view, why we haven't had, you know, two streams at the, at the international level? Well, Canada, 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 and the Americans do have women's national teams. Okay, There's, they're just not uh, Canada's team. I don't know about the American team. Canada's team is not directly under the auspices of Hockey Canada because it's uh, not a national program in a sense. It doesn't compete for a world championship because mm-hmm. there's not enough other countries in the world playing it. But uh, last summer, IPC, the International Paralympic Committee, actually had a World Hockey Challenge. They call it Women's World Hockey Challenge Cup. Or, uh, they had a European entry mixed up with uh, girls from different countries. They had the Americans there and the Canadians, and they played in a uh, tournament. And hope that would lead to something. But until you get other countries involved and you grow the sport internationally, then you'll have enough. You don't have enough teams to play in a world championship. And I don't know what the exact number is, but I heard it was you have to have six or eight countries involved to have a world championship. Uh- Piling on Hockey Canada has become somewhat of a national pastime here in the last year and a half, and <laughs> and and for good reason. Um, but in this case, should we pile on on Hockey Canada? I mean, I, 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 the fact that there aren't other countries, shouldn't we be leading? Like that that was, to me, what always separated Hockey Canada from the rest of the federations is that we were out teaching the rest of the world how to play hockey. We were out teaching the rest of the Dave King, all of these guys, Wally Kozak, were out, you know, getting the, the, the opponents to the next level. Doesn't it behoove Hockey Canada to, to have a program and to promote the program? Well, I think so, but I can't speak for Hockey Canada as to why they're not doing that. Okay. But I think so. I think it's, uh, I think the uh, history of Hockey Canada, uh, for the most part of its history, has been a leader. Yeah. And that's why other countries got into hockey is because Hockey Canada went out and taught hockey worldwide yeah. back in the 60s and then all these other countries starting get, getting good at it. And um, I think we could do the same thing in this country. That's why I'm talking about us coming together some kind of a para hockey summit in this country and say, okay, how can we grow right. women's hockey? How can we grow development program for para hockey in general? So I think that could be done. You mentioned amp hockey. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my dear friend, Chris Cedarstrand, who's, you know, was in the program mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, has really been, you know, that champion in, in this community. He invited me over recently to the gym at Winsport that uh, the Calgary Flames Foundation had given them funding for wheel sleds so that they were playing an adapted version in a gym. Like roller hockey. Like roller hockey. Does that have a role to play in in the development of the sport? Well, for sure, because uh, you don't have ice time all the time. So, I mean, just the idea of getting in there. I've tried that on those uh, roller, Yeah, I guess they're called roller blades, so to speak sled and it's even harder than on the ice right yeah so that would even be better for conditioning but it's a starting point and then you can get kids trying it out without the, the being on the ice and they could try it out year round so that that'd be a great opportunity to grow the sport yeah i anything you can do to to get and again access right you mentioned saskatchewan i you know i remember being in estevan back in the late 90s and we had a young man who would travel to regina just to play right because right. you know that's that's how it, how it is, but if 
because the, the, the sleds aren't cheap, are they? Like no. it's not a cheap sport to, no. to equip. No, it's, it's, it's not that much more than stand-up hockey though. I mean, for buying good skates, like in terms of. Yeah. In fairness. Yeah. You you're know, right. You know I mean? Yeah. No, I do know like what you if mean. You're yeah. buy a good, if a kid's playing good, good hockey now, there's probably got a good skate on their feet. So I think it's relatively close that way. Okay. Um, but um, yeah, there's so much can be done in, in, the, in terms of the equipment and uh, the growth of the sport, even that way, the technology part. I mean, I think we can uh, develop better sleds in Canada than we do. I think we can find some, uh, some product that's uh, a little lighter, mm-hmm. a little stronger don't break up as much right now. A lot of the guys that uh, I was coaching had sleds were put together with nuts and bolts still. And I just find that be a little archaic. And I think we can do a better job of sled design, bucket design and get more, more efficient. It's the hardest position to coach in para hockey. <laughs> I would say probably goaltending. Oh, so it, so it translates then. <laughs> <laughs> it does for sure. It's uh, uh goaltending is even uh, uniquer uh, in sledge hockey, para hockey than it is in stand up hockey. Because it depends on your disability, how your movements are going to go. So right. if you're a goaltender coach and you're dealing with a player that's an amputee, his positioning might be, especially the Canadian guys that were, we had, they were playing like a butterfly style. So they're up on their one, on their uh, one good knee and then like kneeling. So they could get up on their sled that way. But some guys play like a first baseman with their leg out. Yeah. Um, some players have paralysis. They can't move. So you're dealing with all kinds of different variables when you're trying to teach them the basics of goaltending. I mean, the basics still some the angles and rebound control and, and quickness with your hand, your gloves. But movement is the key piece that's uh, all goalies struggle with in para hockey. I recently uh, spending some time with Ryan Strasnitsky and he – was trying wheelchair basketball and he informed me and I had no idea of this that they have a point system in in international play right that mm-hmm. certain disabilities are assigned certain points and you, you can't exceed that number on the floor at any one time um, listening to you talk about the differences are we do we need something like that do we have something like that in para that you know if if double boy I feel like a real heel sitting here going wow those those darn <laughs> double amputees it's they okay. have to you know what i mean no, but is okay. is there an equalization or is something that that needs to come to the sport well that's a tough question because in wheelchair rugby yeah and wheelchair basketball there is a point system okay we have a certain amount of uh, players on the court that have a certain disability right right and it always goes back to the WMTs have the uh um have the most um, have them have the um, more speed and flexibility and mobility because of the weight. Yeah, because of the weight and because yeah. you know, I just think of the turning. Yeah, turning of a sled. Yeah, with a leg versus not having a long sled in front of you. Right. So, hockey's talked about it, but I don't think hockey wants to go down that road. Mm-hmm. I think uh, because then it would be like targeting the Americans who are primary. Have I think they had ten or eleven. Uh, the high double amps above right. the knee double amps, right? Which is, like I said, pick and spin mobility. It's hard to defend against. You can be the greatest athlete in a in a single amp, and you can uh, skate straight out as fast as the double amp. But when that double amp turns, it's hard for you to make the same turn to conference wise. Just basic physics. So, what's keeping you as a a coach or an organization from saying, "Well, we're only going to recruit double amps amputees"? Well. Finding them, 
Okay. Right? So seriously. Um, but if you, and again, I'm not trying to pick a fight, but no, if no. you increase the, you know, we, we've often talked about the pyramid, right? Mm-hmm. So what we really need to do is increase the base of the pyramid. We need more kids and youth programs. We need more access. So if we get that, is there a danger of, you know, not having opportunities for everybody and, and just, you know, kind of recruiting based on the one issue? Well, uh, I think it's a possibility because if you look at the speed of the game now, yeah. from what it was, where it was even nine years ago when I started with uh, Team Canada, it's gotten faster. There's more amputees in the game than ever before, um, especially with the top teams. And um, it's a speed sport. It's a speed skill sport. So that may that may someday. I'm not. I don't know this for sure, but I could see maybe someday there'd be only amputees playing the sport because of the speed factor. Well, it, and I, I have, you know, again, I feel a little heelish doing this, but it's only because I worry sometimes that we don't do what's right. We do what's best for winning, right? Yeah, you know, sure. If you're not cheating, you're not trying and, <laughs> and, or that kind of crap. And, uh, it, you know, it, it is, I mean, you have to take into consideration, right? For all the reasons you talked about, turning radius, speed, yeah. all of those sort of things, right? Well, you do, and, and well, at the end of the day, high-performance sports is about uh, competing and trying to win gold medals, right? So yeah. if you look at the world and countries and para, para hockey, mm-hmm. United States, Canada, the Czechs, the top, and the uh, Chinese, the top four teams in the world, they all want to do the same thing. They all want medals, so they're going to pick the fastest, most mobile players they can get. Right. And that's, that's the reality at that level. There still could be a place for uh, para-athletes that want to play uh, hockey, and there still could be a place for para-athletes that maybe can't play para-hockey down the road because they're not fast enough or mobile enough. There's other sports they can get involved in, like wheelchair basketball. Skiing's another one a lot of guys do. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there are other opportunities. We just have to create opportunities that suit the needs of each um, person's disability. What about um, <clears throat> stand-up players playing uh, para to, to increase numbers to, you know what I mean? In the, yeah. in the event that is, is there value in that? Is, is that something that we should be promoting? Is, Absolutely. Yeah. We need that. And Calgary is a great example. The league in Calgary mm-hmm. has a good league. And a lot of the, uh, a lot of the teams have able-bodied players on it. playing that is their, their choice to play hockey. They just want to play uh sledge hockey. Well, it's a different workout. Yeah. Right. Different, and they're stand up. Some guys might have bad knees, bad backs, so they don't yeah. want to play that. They can't skate very well, but they can play para hockey, I mean, sledge hockey, it used to be called. Yeah, and so that allows the para para athletes to have a league to play in. Mm-hmm. And like Team Alberta, they have provincial teams in Canada, not all provinces, but I think there's five or six of them. Team Alberta, who I'm familiar with, they had about four or five uh, able-bodied guys playing on that team, but that allowed them to field a competitive team. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. Well, and and I I would hope that we would get to a place where you can encourage that right oh yeah because you and i both know the success of hockey is always measured by not the amount of nhlers you produce but the amount of beer league players you produce absolutely right and it can't and i you hate to see a sport in which well we're not i'm not playing for gold so i can't play anymore you know you like you want beer league sledge hockey or para hockey right that's the goal ultimately yeah yeah. it's it's sport sport and um you know the most fun i had as a player was playing um Scrub hockey. <laughs> that was the most fun. And um, we've got to keep that's the love of the sport, playing the game to, for fun. And yes, we tried to win the games, but we were playing for the fun of it, you know? And once you lose that, you lost the whole oh, sport. Yeah. 
Well, and I, I, I talked about the influence you've been on me, but coach, I remember, uh, we can tell the story later, but you know, <laughs> being out on the ice and then you would do dog hockey and it just changed. Everything changed. Yeah. They, they became kids again, right? Yeah. You, you can have the most serious, angry practice or whatever, but you put those nets cross ice and you throw a puck or a tennis ball in there. All, Cause you yeah. used to start your practice with a tennis ball too, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's the essence of the sport, right? Playing for fun. Right. And that's when the guys are happy and you want them to get, I always want to back to coaching for me, you know, you do your work, get them, get them interested. That was the ball hockey stuff. I mean, the tennis ball stuff at the start or some fun game and then go through the work part of your practice and then finish with something positive and fun again. Yeah. That they leave the rink feeling having right. fun. Right. Right. Start having fun and leave having fun. And they want to come to the rink. Exactly. I mean, it wasn't every day we had that, but I mean, most days we try to, to build that into our practice. And, and at, I go back to this sport is about having fun and that's what it's, it's, it's going to be for a 9.9 out of 10 of us. Right. Some of us will um, get into it and do well as athletes and that's fine. But uh, 9.9 of us are going to either keep playing the sport or not play the sport. It's not the same to me as when I hear, kids quitting the sport because they don't like it anymore. Yeah. When they started loving it when they were kids, yeah. what happened? Right? Yeah. What happened to their love of the game? Well, we beat it out of them. Yeah. Right. It, you know, I uh, talk about it all the time. Tom Ferry, the Aspen Institute, North American Youth Sports, designed for the parent, not for the kid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that that's where that love comes apart. And, you know, just to make a nice nifty transition here, was the, the love, I mean, that... Was that a, an automatic, a given for your athletes in para? In para? Hmm. I don't know. That's a good question. I think I think some of the guys, a lot of the guys I've worked with in para hockey in Canada and just recently in Norway, a lot of them never came from hockey backgrounds. They picked it up after they- After had, their injury. After their injury yeah. or illness or disability occurred to them, right? Right. Some of them had it from birth, a disability from birth. So mm-hmm. they had to, they found maybe para hockey early. Mm-hmm. Others had um, a lifestyle going on and had an injury or an illness that caused them to lose uh, a limb or caused whatever the condition they were in. And then they had to learn hockey, how to play hockey. Hmm. But the elements of hockey, I don't know if it was always there for fun, but maybe it became fun. I don't know. But it's not the same system that hockey players go through in Canada right. or the United States, girls and boys, where they're brought up playing the game. They chose the game. They stay in the game because they love it. Yeah. You hope. Yeah. And then they get teenagers and they're still staying in the game and that's wonderful. And then if they play it as a fun recreational sport as adults, that's even better. But they started the sport because they liked it. I don't know if that was always the case with um, a lot of the disabled play- players I dealt with. But Billy Bridges loved it. Billy Bridges, yeah. Yeah, he loves hockey. What what made him special, or makes him special? He's still here. <laughs> <laughs> Billy's still here. I don't know. Billy just had a fire about the sport. He had he, he loved the sport. He was good at it, and he was a great competitor. But Billy was special because he wanted always to give back. Hmm. You know, and uh, Billy was always the type of guy wherever we went. When I coached Canada, and we go out to uh, an event with the kids or whatever, Billy was sincerely doing that. He wasn't doing it for the photo shot. He was doing it for the sincerity of it. Yeah, and he's that kind of uh, that kind of an athlete, and uh, he's a great, uh, great para hockey league uh, athlete worldwide. Does he have a role to play in the growth of the sport? I hope so. If he chooses, I mean, you, you hate to 
but no, I hope I hope guys like him, Steve Arsenal, Brad Bowden, all these uh, guys that I dealt with, uh, legends in the game when I got there, that they uh, they continue in the sport and mm. they could help grow the sport. Yeah, one of the things I wanted to do, uh, if I had uh, been with Hawk Canada a little bit longer, I would have wanted to start an alumni group, mm-hmm. which would include our alumni. Yeah, bring them back, bring them around these uh, new players that are coming up and. Tell their stories, have a sense of that, like we did at State. I mean, yep. uh, when we got the alumni involved, it changed the whole dimensions of our program because also, guys, not just the hockey part of it, but the guys were, as you know, Rob, all these guys didn't know what they wanted to do in school. And our alumni would come around and say, Oh, yeah, I took uh, petroleum technology. I took that business course and I switched over to this. And now I'm running my own business. Guy. Yeah. Oh, I can do that. Oh. You know, they connect that way too. Yeah. Um, your experience at the Paralympics as, as an event, uh, I'm, I'm very curious about that. We were kind of talking about the event in Moose Jaw, and it was great, but wasn't really well attended. Um, what were those Paralympics like to be part of? Well, my first Paralympics in Pyeongchang, Korea, was amazing. It was amazing. Um, we had just come off a 217 World Championship wing in Pyeongchang because it was a test, test uh, world championship with test event that year for the Paralympics. And then 218 was an amazing event. We had uh, fans galore. I mean, I think, I think if I'm not sure, we set the record, gold medal game, Canada, U.S. set the record for attendance mm-hmm. in para hockey. And I think we even beat the women's hockey gold medal uh, game for that year. I'm not sure of that, but that's what I heard. So attendance was not a factor in Korea. It was packed all the time. And they did a wonderful job of hosting the event. In uh, Beijing in 2022, was it different? It was COVID. Yeah. We're all locked down. Yeah. It was a different scenario. Um, and so I would say Paralympics was an amazing event uh, from a production side. Mm-hmm. It was an honor to be involved and to represent Canada and to be around all the other world countries and how they operated. And um, But I saw two different kinds of Paralympics. Yeah. yeah very successful, open environment. Um, one in South Korea and the closed door, uh, lockdown Beijing due to COVID. Yeah. How, how, like when you say lockdown, can you give us a little example of what the day was like? Well, okay. Well, I can give you an example. When we arrived in Beijing from our flight from China, I mean, a flight from Canada, Vancouver, we landed in China and, um, got to the airport. First thing I saw was all these uh, soldiers with guns and um, machine guns and all kind of uh, military presence everywhere. And then we had to go through all these check-ins. It took us about two hours to get from the airplane through all these stops along the way. Yep. Passports, check this, check that. Then we got, they took us by bus uh, with military escort through Beijing to the compound where we were staying to the athlete's village and you go through these gates again, there's military everywhere, go through these gates, checked in, went through uh, scans to make sure we didn't have uh, guns and things like that. And then we got into our, uh, we had a kind of like a condo. Canada had its own condo for all its para sports. Each country kind of had that. Some of the smaller countries shared floors and other condo buildings. And that's it. We couldn't leave the compound and just to go to the arena every day. Uh, we have practices. Um, you could walk around the compound. There's a little shopping area, not maybe half a block outside. Um, that was part of the compound, but 
that was lockdown. He had a general eating area every day, and that's how we lived there for 21 days. Wow. Difficult to coach in that environment? I found it very difficult. I found it very difficult because uh, I like to, uh, when I go to these world events, mm. I like to go watch other teams' practice, sure. talk to other coaches, and, uh, you know, just shoot the breeze, yep. pick brains, get ideas, see what they're doing, see what systems are running, what drills are running, just talk hockey, talk life, just get to know people. And uh, couldn't really do that in Beijing. Yeah. You know, it, was, it wasn't that kind of environment. So it was difficult for me personally from that perspective. And just the whole idea of being in the same uh, same building every day, same routine, same, got kind of monotonous. And psychologically, it was a challenge. Hmm. Um, last one on, on this topic is facilities. And we've talked about this before, but are we getting better? Are we, you know, for the para-athlete, you know, are, are buildings and arenas becoming more accessible or then is there some forethought given to newer facilities when it comes to, to adapting to parasport? Uh, I hope so. I know in Moose Jaw, they, they did, uh, one of the reasons they won the event to host the event was that they uh, included uh, the um, ability in their rink design. Mm -hmm. So they're able to do it. I know University of Saskatchewan Huskies did the same thing. And I think smart, smart, buildings or people that consider renovating their buildings or trying to build new buildings should look at that as an option just to be more inclusive. Yeah. Also they can get funding from the governments by being more inclusive and including in their package. So I think it's a good thing. I think it's come a long way. I mean, it's certainly better than it was. Um, Europe, Europe depends where you're at. Some rinks have it, some rinks don't, but uh, from what I've seen in Canada, I think we're heading in the right direction. Go back to, I think my first question for you was, you know, what was it like for you to adapt to, you know, para hockey when you came from stand-up? What would it be like going back now? I mean, would it, would you just fall back into it or would it take a little while to make that, that, you know, change? That's a good question, Rob. I've often thought about that and uh, I haven't watched much stand-up hockey besides watching some TV. I'm in the NHL on TV and I've watched some junior hockey games in Calgary here, but I don't know. I'd have to get back on the ice. I'm sure it'd be... A little bit different, but um, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Is there anything you could take from from your experience, and and do you think that would help you, or or maybe help your teams? Is there just a you know different vantage point or a different you know thought process? Yeah, for me, it'd be the whole idea of um, angling and, and checking with with better angles, that kind of thing. Uh, just in para hockey, you have to because you don't have a long stick. You have to position your sled and your body and always in a good angle position. So that just tactical side of the game, that would be, uh, right. would be something I take back. Um, I mentioned before, you, you know, long, long tenure at, at SAIT and, and, you know, all of the accolades that go with it. Um, was it hard to step away? I mean, that was, you know, a quarter of a century, right? Yeah. More than that, actually. Yeah. That was very hard, Rob, as you know, uh, um, my whole career was at SAIT, basically, and SAIT um, uh, was such a great school and still is a great school. But when I was there, we had, a, uh, we had people like you. We had all kinds of good people around us that we were able to bring into our folds, onto our team, so to speak. And yeah. they, um, we all worked together for the most part. Most of us worked well together, and we had the same vision of our sport. Mm. And, uh, you know, when you and I started, we built the idea of the Trojan pillars, you know, courage, Courage, spirit, and all that stuff, right? Yeah. 
Yep. And so we, we came up with that and we uh, branded, say, so to speak, the Trojans as to what they were. And, yep. uh, you know. Well, that uh, was my first kind of venture into culture. Yeah. Right. I think before that. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. We never talked about culture. No, no. And you all, and you and I talked, and you were part of our strategic team, and we talked about it as a department. Okay, what's a, what in this hockey world in Calgary – what can we be known as? Right. And I said, well, we talked about it and we said, well, community, community's lacking, You're lacking some leadership, yeah. some support in the community. In those days it was. Yeah. And we were lucky. We got in at the right time. Timing's everything. Sure it is. We started doing those hockey clinics, yeah. hockey schools, going out to the community with the players and the players, remember, they've come back a little prouder about being a Trojan. Absolutely. Shoulders back. Absolutely. Head up. They had some reason. The kids would come to games because they're, Connected school. to it, right? Yeah. So there's a connection. Yeah. And that community spirit just came part of our pillars of our athletics program for all our sports. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the proudest part of uh, being a state for me was the community involvement and the good work we did there and seeing our athletes um, grow up, so to speak, and become fine men and women and out in the community in their careers because they went to school there. It's hard for me to look at U Sports. It's hard for me to look at the ACAC and not think about you and also about how hard you tried to bring the two together. Um, is that a, I, I don't want to say a regret, but I mean, I'm one of the few people I think that knows how hard you worked on that for a long time and, and it never quite clicked. Why didn't it click? Boy, it just seemed like <clears throat> natural. Well, it was a natural to me and it still is a natural yeah, to me. Yeah, exactly. It's it a, hasn't it's a, changed. It's a no yeah. brainer to me. Um, it, it cost me a lot of political capital, I believe, in my career in general. But uh, I was I was um, doing it for what I thought was the right vision of of um, college university sports in Canada. Is why do we have two systems? Yeah, why don't we have one system and um, a tiered approach to that system? Some schools like the University of Calgary, U of A, they might be in every sport, mm-hmm. and um, other schools like State. Nate 
Mount Royal might be in certain sports that they can compete at yep. in tier one. Then you have tier two. Yep. And you see this in the United States all the time. Best example is University of Alaska has their men's hockey team in tier one and they have all the other sports in tier two. Yeah. And that's just what they're good at. Right. So, um, and the system would be so much more, um, I don't know, I think it'd be more marketable, uh, local marketing. Certainly it would be great media coverage because you have more local localization. So my vision was a hockey basketball program where state would be playing UFC one night then playing U of A the next weekend. Nate would be coming down to play Mount Royal mm -hmm. and you had that whole Alberta element to it. Right. And then you could have yeah. regionals and it could build out from there. But at the end of the day, it always come down, came down to academics mm. and governance of the academic institutions, um, which is not a lot I know about, but I know the basics of it where universities are slated to be universities and, Tech schools are slated to be tech schools and colleges are colleges. But to me, it shouldn't, we shouldn't tear the academic choices people make based on one baron being than the other. At the end of the day, athletes is athletes. Yeah. Play hockey, play on the soccer pitch. It doesn't matter what kind of um, student you are. Right. It matters can you play on the field in that sport or on the ice in that sport and compete equally. Yeah. And, uh, so me, it was more like a blended version and open door inclusive version to, okay, if you want to have uh, state uh, technical students playing against university students, good. It doesn't matter. Can they play the sport at that equal level? Yeah. That's all that matters. Yeah. And I think it'd be more cost efficient. And it was just, and, you know, we had a lot of big supporters. We had uh, our president at the time, Irene Lewis, a big supporter. Doug Mitchell was behind it. We had a lot of people in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Michael Dyer, our former vice president, was a big advocate. We were heading in the right direction, and then, bang, the door got closed. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's, you know, I hate to say it and I hate to overgeneralize, but, you know, there we are again with institutionalism. Right. Institutional thinking, right? Like, we're not looking at what's best for everybody. We're looking at what's best for us or whatever. And here we are, you know, 20 years later, sitting our, asking ourselves the same question. Couldn't it be a better system? Yeah. Like, couldn't it be a more effective system? Yeah. You know? And you know what? We were so close, you know, like, because the BC, BC had a uh, college league going. It wasn't as good as the ACAC, but they were trying to get going. But how we created this one system, then you could have uh, another level, tier two, where they could be part of. And you could even have a tier three for the small rural colleges around Alberta, Saskatchewan, yeah. where you had entry points. Yeah. And some, and some, some schools, uh, I remember when we started women's hockey at our school, you know, we had to jump right into the ACAC, but it was just in this uh, original state starting points then. But say you get into a sport like basketball, well, you, unless you come in at the top end, you're going to be bottom place. But if you had a second level, mm -hmm. you could start there, get you some success, get your program kind of going yep. and then work your way up. Anyways, it's, um, it's something that, uh, I was glad I fought for and something I still believe in, but, uh, I think uh, I think post secondary sports in Canada missed missed a great opportunity. Yeah, I, I there isn't a day goes by that I don't think about what it could have been. Yeah, um, and hey, listen, I mean, you know, people over at Mount Royal say everything's great. You know, we oh, won yeah. a women's championship, and UFC can go. But it's that idea of greater good rather than self interest. Well, you know, another part of this in my days, and I don't know if it still happened when I was recruiting the ACAC. I remember talking to kids in the Alberta Junior Hockey League. And BC Junior Hockey League, Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League. So, well, they're going to go down to, let's say, I'll just pick a name, University of Wisconsin at Eau Claire. Okay. What are you going to 
do down there? Well, I'm going to take uh, their insurance degree. Okay, insurance degree in the United States. And where do you think you're going to live? Calgary. You have an insurance degree from the United States. I don't think it's going to apply, <laughs> you know what I mean? And how much are you paying down there? Oh, they're paying half. Okay, what's what's your half? 20000 American? Yeah. Well, come on, you can go to SAIT. Yeah. Great school, Mount Royal, great school, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Canada, Canadian education. Yeah. You're going to live in Canada. You want to get something Canadian, especially you got to think where are you going to live in Canada? Are you going to live in Western Canada? Are you going to live in Alberta? Then you better tie it to the economy of Alberta, Western yeah. Canada. So, anyways. <laughs> well, no, it's not, anyways. <laughs> it's, it was always that, you know, you've struggled with it. I've struggled with it. You know, we have Cammy Kepke comes in here. Cammy just won the. U Sports Media Award nationally yeah. and, and talks about, we've all talked about it, uh, you know, and this now transcends to a different conversation, which is why we belittle our university and college sports in this country. And I know, I'm not sure that's the right question anymore, because I wonder how much of it is, are we belittling it or like nobody does it like the Americans? There's, the, university sports are nowhere in the world or they, they like, it's a, it's a, that's a complete American thing. And they, they get that sexiness and that, that name recognition and everything going. I mean, it's, it's crazy to me sometimes when you're walking or working with people, Oh, I'm a big university of Alabama football fan. Really? Did you go to Alabama? No, I've never been to the States. <laughs> right. There's something in the water about that, which we've never been able to replicate here. It's going to be hard to replicate that, that because uh, I learned that when I went to the University of Montana doing my master's degree. I used to go down there in the summers and, and do my master's degree. Montana is an NCAA uh, 1A school, so yeah. it's not with Michigan and those schools you're yeah. talking about. But it is, it is. And even down there, though, in Montana, like the Grizzlies and Missoula are everything. Yep. And one game they have to win a year is against Bobcats. That's right. Right? Yep. Montana State. Absolutely. That's the game. The coach yeah. keeps his job if he wins that game in yeah. basketball, football, hockey, right? Whatever. And um, Dave Dickinson talks about that even to this day. Yeah. Right. Well, got a statue there in Missoula. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Dave Dickinson. That's right. He's their hero. But, anyways, and I learned that down there. And, you know, it's part of the whole American culture. You know, sports starts in uh, when they're little kids, starts in their, uh, preschool, starts in elementary school, and they, they just ride along with patriotism, tie yep. it all together. Yep. Well, that was the point about we could build better regional rivalries and we could build uh, better media interest, fan interest, student interest if we would have had one post-secondary system in this country. Right. And then have regional playoffs yep. at each level, tier one, tier two, tier three. And the Americans, that's the American model. And that's another thing that sidetracked. Is, oh, you hear American model, they go, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. talking cheating on the end of the table, all this stuff. No, no, we're just talking a system that can work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, don't know. I just, <laughs> sometimes I shake my head, but it's not always just about that. Um, tell me a little <laughs> bit about the, how the game has changed. Cause as I mentioned, you started coaching in 87, you exited at 2014. I think we could even make a case that even in your time since you left say that the game has changed, but yeah. you know, how have you seen this game evolve of hockey? Well, I think hockey is, uh, I think it's the most amazing sport in the world. It's so fast and uh, fast. Now the guys are so and guys are so fast how they play the game their skills are so good i think you know i think i think back to when i first started coaching and say it was a bigger heavier style of play mm -hmm. you know and players got fitter and then we got 
better and faster and then just the evolution of the game is more speed fitness i mean you look at these guys how much they train now and how what's expected of them on a daily training environment and basis um i think that's the biggest thing uh hockey still hockey but i think a lot of strategies are still the same but it's not as heavy a game as it used to be that's yeah. the best way i put it on as physical a game you see it in the playoffs so all of a sudden, people go, wow, playoffs are great. Yeah. Well, they love the physical play. I don't think guys can play that style for 82 games a year, 84 games a year, right? How how much of the year-round training has benefited the game, or has it? Well, I mean, I think if you're trying to produce a pure hockey player, it probably has in the sense of their fitness-wise, strength-wise. Mm-hmm. As far as their mental and emotional development go uh, and social development, yeah. I question it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think six, eight months of hockey is enough for anybody, including coaches. Yeah. I think that the spring, summer stuff has gotten in the way of uh, kids becoming all around athletes oh, and all, sure. all around people. For sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What happens when their hockey's gone? Say that a hockey player had an accident happens. Now he's not a hockey player. Because yep. that's his whole identity or her whole identity because that's all they're doing Yep. every day, right? Yep. Some of them are even doing it half the day in school days because they're in hockey academies. Yep. So, I don't know. I, I, I question that. I think it's better to have an all-around athlete and so that uh, she can develop uh, her skills or he can develop his skills as a person too because I think some of that gets missed along the way. And um, I'd say, as you know, Rob, mm-hmm. you know, we used to get a lot of guys that, Thought they were going to the NHL, they're in the Western Hockey League, boom, 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 then it doesn't happen. Yep. And then now they're stuck at us and they're grumpy and they're depressed a bit yep. and they're acting out a bit. Right? Yep. Yep. And, uh, you know, we had to uh, rebuild them mm-hmm. and they had to rebuild themselves. And uh, that's what we were dealing with. But I don't know. I think kids going fishing, kids playing baseball, soccer, riding their bikes, doing other things just besides hockey. I see the little kids having these camps now, and I'm going, wow, doing day camps in spring. Yeah. Why don't you on your bike? Yeah. Yeah, I. Uh, you won't get an argument out of me. I mean, I, it, the the whole part, uh, you know, where is free play? You know, you, you were just kind of talking about it, throwing a tennis ball out or playing a little dog hockey. <laughs> There's value in free play. Yeah. And I, I sometimes I think we've taken free play out of the equation. Yeah. Well, we have. And, um, I think you have to really have a balance. Balance is important. And uh, I learned that later, personally, in my life. You need a balance in your life. And if mm. you don't have other things to do, you just get your whole life revolves around hockey. And I think there's got to be more to life than hockey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you also spent a fair amount of your professional career as an administrator, as you were an athletic director. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've had you've seen the national uh, organizations like Hockey Canada. Last two years in this country have been somewhat of a, a a reckoning, I guess, for the lack of a better term. From your vantage point, what have you seen in terms of you know what we just kind of the abdication of of responsibility by certain groups? We've got problems in hockey. We've got problems in soccer. We've got problems in gymnastics. We've got problems in almost all of our sports at the national level. Why did it all come to a head? Do you think? Well, I think, I think a lot of it's uh, come out of this idea of the pro model, I call it, where mm-hmm. everything's corporate and you forget you start as an amateur organization working for the kids and for the minor hockey and the parents and that. 
I'm speaking in hockey's behalf. And then sure. you start making, having success. You start getting money, start branding, you get into the corporate world. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, um, then you lose sight of the, the bread and butter yeah. of hockey and, and any sport. Yeah. And it's not just hockey. Soccer's got their issues now, I guess, playing players, et cetera. But I think it's all the corporatization, the pro model, I call it. And um, that gets in the way of the amateur. It doesn't, those those two ideologies don't match because right. one's about corporations, which is capitalism making money. Yeah. The other one's about kids having fun, right. learning sports, yep. learning teamwork, learning leadership skills. Yep. Learning fairness skills, right. being honest, right. making mistakes. So those two don't always jive together, right? As one organization. I was brought up in Hawk Canada when there was two organizations, Canadian Hockey Association, and then they had Hockey Canada. Yep. And then they merged. Mm-hmm. And it developed into this, uh, I, I think it's still considered a nonprofit, but I can't see it being a nonprofit. I mean, they make millions of dollars off the World Juniors, et cetera. But it is a corporate entity now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, I think that's, that's a lot of the battles that we're having. And um, because of that, some of the leaders along the way got, got sidetracked on yeah. what's, what's important. And they started uh, making decisions on the corporation versus making decisions on the amateur side, the ethical side. How much of it is connected to trying to chase success? I mean, you and I are the same vintage. I mean, when Calgary hosted the, 88 winter Olympics expectations were pretty moderate for, you know, medals and it's the rest of the world. We're not that good, you know, and now we go to the Olympics, especially on the women's side and we're expected to be among the leaders. And we, you know, we put processes and we put programs in to do that, but at what cost, or is that a fair question to ask? No, it's not a fair question. I mean, uh, again, high performance sport is about performing, um, and winning medals. Mm -hmm what high performance sport is and at the olympic level it's winning gold medals silver medals canada has this whole organization called own the podium exactly which just funds metal contenders right if you're not a metal contender you don't get as much funding as if you're a metal contender and most countries in the world norway did too uh has programs like that because they're all chasing the medals because medals uh, reinforce uh, the corporate reinforce your philosophy reinforce your identity as a country right yep 88 Olympics, uh, my wife Debbie and I, we actually did bed and, bed, bed and breakfast, I think they called then, and yeah. we volunteered too. And so we were quite active. But that that whole 88 Olympics was driven by volunteers. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah. 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 It was pretty bread and butter. Yeah, it, it, it was. And, and again, I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't try to win medals. That's not it. I'm just wondering about the unintended consequences. Yeah. You know, because we're having, like I say, we're having this reckoning with all of these different sporting bodies having to account for things. Soccer being the, I mean, here you've got the women in the middle of a, a World Cup and they're dealing with, you know, uh, pay issues and things like that. Like, it, you, you know, we both remember 86 when Canada was last in the World Cup and, yeah. and what, what a godsend to get there this year. And now it seems to be blowing up in front of us, right? It's all falling apart. Yeah. And I just wonder, you know, if we've lost our way a little bit. And if we've lost our way, who can who can get us back on track? Well, yeah, I'm, I've been uh, watching this World Cup with the women's. Yeah, and the women's are in a tough. Canada's in a tough battle now because Nigeria won two games. Yep. So Canada has to beat Australia, and they're going. Well, if Canada loses this, they're going to be yep. not going moving on. Well, that's sport. It doesn't mean they didn't try. It doesn't mean they're not good athletes. Just Nigeria came out of nowhere, like we're seeing in sport in general, especially Absolutely. in hockey. 
Countries now. Latvia are did that. Yeah, countries now are winning that never. Germany right. was in the gold medal game. Yeah. Right. Well, exactly. No, I mean, no, that's a great point. And so, I mean, sport. Sometimes it's just as simple as it's sport. Right. So, with the ball bounced, the puck bounced that day, that moment, and in world, world championships and world cups and world Paralympics and world Olympics, it's it's one game. You could live or die on that one game. You could live and die on one shift. Could you coach for twenty five plus years in one team anymore? No. Those days are gone, aren't they? They are gone for sure. Absolutely. Any kind of elite program? No. You would never get that kind of. Well, unless, well, unless you're, I mean, it still happens in NCAA. In the, um, but will it moving forward? Once oh, those yeah. positions, you know. No, I don't I don't know. That's a tough one. I don't think there'll be 25-year coaches like I was. George Kingston was at UC for 20 years. Well, Claire yeah, Drake, exactly. Claire Drake was 30 years, I think, at U of A or right. whatever. Anyways, I don't think you'll see that anymore. I don't know for sure. Yeah. I, I, what what still excites you about hockey? Just the game. One minute to go, down a goal, one minute to go, up a goal, just the competition part. And uh, just being on the ice, being around the players. And that's been always my fun about this. Yeah. The competition part. What, what, what would you change if you could change right now? Anything in the sport? Hockey? It's a free country, whatever, whatever <laughs> sport you want. Well, in hockey, I would like to dial it back down a bit, back to a little bit more the fun part of the game. I'm not saying kids aren't having fun. I can't really say that. But my sense is that it's um, uh, with all this, all these academies and year-round hockey, it's just, it's just, you don't get a breather from it. I think people need breathers from things. So that would be something in hockey I'd like to see dialed down, but can't control that. The, um, the cats out of the barn or whatever, horse out of the barn, whatever. Toothpaste out of tube. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Right. Anyways, um, I don't know. Sports, again, it, uh, it's just back on this. It's just a game. And then yeah. we show here, it's just a game. we got to realize that. Yeah. You know, there's, as you know, there's a lot more serious problems than losing a hockey game, a basketball game in the world today. Yeah. Um, Sunday afternoon, you're on the couch. What do you want to be watching? What 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 gets you going? Sunday afternoon. Well, any day. You're on the couch, TV's on. What do you want to be watching these days? Stampede or football. <laughs> that's that's awesome because they can use you. <laughs> you know, that's that's tough for that's it's a little tough right now, isn't it? It's hard. It is. It's yeah, hard. It is. It's hard for me because I I don't I want it to be successful and I I I can't watch it, not see the empty seats, and it bugs me. Well, and uh, good thing you're not an Eskimo fan. No. <laughs> well, that's ineptitude. <laughs> like, you got to win at home at some point, right? Well, we'll see. I wouldn't bet on it, but now it'll come back. Uh, you know, Calgary fans have been fortunate over the years that Stampeders have always been so good, and I think this is a little bit of an awakening for some of us fans. Yeah, yeah. You know, oh, I don't know. When I got here the second go round, it was Federic and Fateri. So <laughs> you know, it was a, it was a circus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, was, it was a fun circus. Oh, it was never dull. No, no, no. It was <laughs> never ever dull. Ever dull. We were talking. You and I were talking over lunch about Shoei Itani. Um, you know, and how incredible. I mean, what this week he pitched eight innings and then hit two home runs in the next game and a doubleheader. Like it's that's the stuff of legend, right? That's the stuff of Babe Ruth, and we were never going to see that again. And to me, it's so exciting to have that player in sport right now. He's an amazing athlete and just his whole approach. And uh, I watched the show on his uh, 
he came from Japan where he grew up and all. He's just a down to earth uh, athlete. And yeah. just, I heard, I was listening to, uh, listen to some uh, podcasts at night. What? Uh, yeah, and, How dare you, sir? I was listening to these guys and they're, they're knocking the idea of him being the best ball, best baseball player of all time. And I was thinking, why are you knocking that concept? It's hard to measure. It's like saying Gretzky was better than Bobby Orr, blah, 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 blah. You can't really compare those generations, but he's still a, the best player right now in his generation. Just by how he well, plays. And, and the reason I would, you know, I would make a case for him <laughs> in the same way that I would make a case for Mike Vernon when he got in the Hall of Fame was he played in two different generations. Not that Otani played in two different generations, but he played in a generation in which you could not play two different positions. No, you, you were not allowed. You know, this was heresy. How dare you, sir? You must go do one, pick one, not the other. And he's been allowed to do that, which I never thought I would see again. I I thought the day of that, you know, when we watched Bo Jackson and, and, you know, it was like, this is incredible. But then we had a couple of players try it and, you know, other, nobody, who else is doing this right now? No, it's amazing. Especially uh, that he's a pitcher, starting pitcher. Yeah. And he's a top hitter in the league. Right. And look, you have pitchers now that just go four or five innings and you have a, a mid reliever and you have a semi late reliever and you have the closer. I mean, I remember watching pitchers go nine innings. Oh, it, it's insane that that, that you, <laughs> now you're going to make me mad because I was looking at those numbers about complete games, uh, you know, like 10 years ago and guys were, you know, 20 complete games or whatever. Now you might lead the league with four. Or something yeah. silly like that, right? And Nolan Ryan used to go nine. Oh my god! If yeah. he didn't get, if he got pulled, he'd like freak out. He'd, he would freak out. Yeah. And there's lots of reasons for that. I mean, they talk about health and arm, yeah, you know, yeah. and all that. But I don't know. I think sometimes we we're guilty of overthinking. And you know, Shohei Atani. When I'll go back to hockey for a second. It used to drive me nuts. Oh, you know, we want to talk this. Oh, he's a starting goal. You can't talk to him. It's eleven thirty. He's not playing until seven o'clock tonight. Surely to God, he can answer a question. Oh, no, 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 no. Can't do that. Can't do that. It's, it's, you know, it's game day. And I, that's where I got into this whole delicate genius thing. We, we treat them like they're delicate geniuses. Like they're not. And Shoei Tani <laughs> proved that they're not like dude pitched and then hit it. It, yeah. it can happen. Like he's okay. We, uh, to me, and it's kind of that putting them up on the pedestal. And I don't think that's helped at all. Like, I'm not suggesting that NHL players should go work, you know, grocery stores before games or stuff like that. But I think we, we got to, to your point about dialing back, they're not delicate geniuses. No. You know what I mean? Let's treat them more like people. And most hockey players, athletes in general, soccer, the girls in soccer, they're, they have to be having fun. He's having fun. Yes. That's why he's doing so good. Yes. He gets the pitch and hit. Yes. He's in the game. He's playing all parts. Good Lord knows if I could do what he do, I'd have fun. (laughs) I know, but you're right. I think sometimes we think, oh, you got to protect them. got to do this. Got I call it the halo effect, right? You've got to make sure they're okay, have a halo around them. No, I think they're just people, and um, they want to be um, They want to be social. They want to be uh, sharing their, their fun. Yeah. Um, before I let you go, I talked about my mentor off the top, and you're one of them. Um, who, who are your mentors? Who are the guys that got you to where you are today? Oh, boy, that's a tough question. I mean, uh, I was um, mostly influenced uh, in my younger days by my grandmother. She was uh, an immigrant uh, mm-hmm. that came to this country at 13 years old um, on a boat by herself with uh, one name in her pocket that her father had given her. 
because the um, Soviets were coming to take over their uh, town in Ukraine, and he was a farmer. And he sent her here because she was the one that was uh, had went to school. And anyway, she got on this boat, and she came to Montreal and uh, took a train to Saskatoon and took another train, uh, rail liner, to PA, where the family lived. And uh, she made her life in Saskatchewan. She became the president of the Ukrainian Women's Association. And I was remember her as being a very strong leader and mentor for me when I was a young guy growing up. Um, and then, you know, in the hockey world, uh, I think, you know, I was influenced by a variety of good coaches, uh, not so much in terms of uh, developed personality, but just in hockey strategies. Like Dave King had a profound effect on me because he was such a great strategist of the yeah. game. Yeah. He, he had, you know, came up with cycling and all this stuff that's yeah. being, still being played in hockey. Now and, he's doing analytics. Did you know that? No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was, in, he was at the coaching clinic here in Calgary last fall doing analytics. Wow. Like he's incredible. Yeah. Well, he has a great mind for the game. Yeah. And that's that's what always impressed me about him. So yeah. So and uh, yeah. Um, hard to say about mentorship. Well, Wally. Wally Kozak's an amazing. Uh, Just got the arena named after him. Yeah, I reached out to him and told him how proud I was. was well deserving because Robbie's been. I mean, Wally's been a. You know, he's been one of those unsung grinder kind of people influenced hockey absolutely so many absolutely so many levels of hockey both men's and women's and youth and pro absolutely he's done absolutely he has a wealth of knowledge and great man frustrating because the any the hall of fame sometimes gets to be the nhl hall of fame wally kozak deserves to be in the hockey hall of fame oh absolutely oh yeah for his work for for, for what he's done Yeah. yeah and how he broke down the women's game Yes. Him and Mel Davis, I remember them being at the bunker in the, bo- the bottom of Father Bauer. And they were like, they were just like starting to get that women's program where it is today. Yep. I mean, they're doing a great job today, but those two really, for me, uh, they started that program. Any any young coaches you watch today have your eye? <laughs> well, not that much. I haven't been in the stand-up game that much, and I haven't been really around it that much. But um, I'd love you to pay a little attention, if you can, to Carlin Cloud. Oh, yeah, people, Carla, yeah. people who watch this show know I'm obsessed with her because coach, they've shown her, her rooms and, and allowed you to come in and see her relationship building. And it really reminds me a lot of, and it's not the same, but it's, it reminds me of when you opened up the room and I got to go in and see this stuff for the first time about how it's about building culture and how it's about reinforcing it day after day after day. And I've just, I, you know, the fact that, and you know how hard this is on the international level to take a team that's never medaled at the top event and to do it two years in a row is not an easy feat. No, she did an amazing job with Czechia and uh, Carla McLeod. I remember when she was playing the national team, but also she had reached out to me at one time when she was working at the edge, I think, as a coach. Because yeah. we had a state women's hockey position open. Yeah. She was just looking at that uh, that option. So, no, I know of her and I, I think she'll she's done a great job and she's a, a very young, smart coach. Um, one of the best days of my whole life, I'm not sure it was the best day of your whole life. Um, when we beat U of A in the tournament in Saskatoon, in the preseason <laughs> tournament, um, talk about David and Goliath, right? Like, oh yeah. We were the add on team. They needed an extra team. To, was it UBC that fell out or somebody fell out of the I tournament? Think it was Brandon, was it Brandon? Maybe. Oh, so last remember. minute we get the call, we yeah. go and we play U of A and we beat U of A. Yeah, that was a proud moment. 
because they and, were the top dogs. Uh, no, absolutely. And and it's not to make light of U of A. It's the opposite of that. It's like, no. you know, it's like Appalachia State when they went and beat Michigan. Yeah. Right. In a way, not to belittle, yeah. but yeah. that would have been the expectation. Yeah. That and the uh, University of Manitoba coach getting locked in his room by his team. <laughs> Those are the things that they take away from there. And I remember, and speaking of your grandma, is that restaurant you took us to in Saskatoon for a team meal? The only time I have been on with a hockey team that's had a Ukrainian post-game team meal. <laughs> is that restaurant still in Saskatoon? I don't know. I haven't been there for a while. Oh, man. <laughs> that, well, we're in Saskatoon. You got to do what Saskatoonians do. Oh, well, it was such an eye-opener for me because <laughs> I was so used to, well, you know, here's a chicken breast, yeah. baked potato, <laughs> there's a salad, right? Well, pierogies, <laughs> no, bo- And it was the best borscht I've ever had in my life. Uh, that was, oh, man, you can't take those memories away, right? No, That's great. what the game – see, I wish young people understood this better, and it's – I took me for a long time to remember. You're never going to remember a score from your childhood. No. Right. You remember the memories. You remember the moments. You remember uh, the feels, the smells and all that. Right. We had some good moments with Kong. Robbie brought in this. Uh, we needed a mascot. Robbie brought, <laughs> yeah. Robbie convinced this guy to be a. Um, um, what would you call him, Robbie? Well, he was he. Well, Paul Paschkowski yeah. was um, he he was Kong. We because at the point at that point in time, <laughs> Trojan just didn't have a mascot. You remember how we how we got there? Was that we went behind the bowling alley? Yeah. Oh yeah. There was an old storage area behind the bowling alley. It's Sate. We're just rummaging through one day. We and this is a true, Lord is my witness story. We found two things. We found an old monkey suit. Yeah. And a trumpet. Yeah. And we said <laughs> we got to find a guy, and we found a guy, Paul Paschkowski. Yeah. Who, and he used to run behind. Every time a goal was scored, he yep. used to run down the running track. Right. Hit the trampoline. Do a flip in the air. So monkeys. for you, you young people in in sports marketing, here's one for you. Uh, Paul Paschkowski comes to me one day and says, "Hey, we have a unicycle. What a unicycle? Nope. Could you get me one? I'll go ask." Went into your office. Ken, the monkey wants a unicycle. All right, go get him one. <laughs> so as simple as that. Next thing you know, we had a trumpet playing, a unicycle riding monkey at safe. <laughs> and that is a fact. And we took him to Toronto. Oh, to, we took him to Toronto, Toronto to, for the nationals. That's right. And boy, he was sad at the end. He was. So were we. <laughs> yeah, we, we were. We were too. But that was a sad looking. I saw a team sixty four to twelve lost the game three two. Which was worse, the out shooting or the fact that half their team went out to smoke a dart in, in between periods? <laughs> Both. Oh my god! Again, but that goes back to your point. Like it's sports. Yeah, it's sport. Anything, Anything can, happen. can happen, right? Yeah, you can have a monkey on a trampoline on a unicycle. Oh my god! <laughs> and it's a wonder I'm still employed today. Well, that's why you are. <laughs> yes. Because you're creative. That, that's the reason, right? <laughs> um, thank you for doing this. Oh, thanks for having me. I had fun. This, uh, yeah, me too. Um, I, a big, as you know, a huge fan. And, and Vice versa. I really like, you know, talking about the para hockey and, and you know, you, you're kind of like the Indiana Jones of hockey because, like I say, <laughs> you've been all over the world. You've done it all, right? Like, um, you know, it's one day we'll get you on. You can tell us about going over to Scotland before everybody else went over to Scotland, right? Yeah, I'll tell you my Japan story. Or the Ju- oh, well, no, I know the Japan story. <laughs> you don't know the Japan story. You want to hear the Japan story for sure. Coach, thanks for doing this. Thanks, Rob. There you go, Ken Babby. By the way, I should have said this off the top, and I'm going to make a big deal out of it right now. Our guests are brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard. Do you snowboard? No. Ski? Used to. Used to. All right. <laughs> 
Because if you need a new snowboard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I'm good. I got a place for you. Ski Seller Snowboard, skisellersnowboard.com. 76 years in Calgary, almost as many years as Ken coached the Trojans. <laughs> um, and in the winter, there are four locations. Get down there, check them out. Uh, of course, Ski Seller Snowboard bring you all of our guests. Not sure what's going to happen on Monday, but next Friday, really exciting about this. You would you inspired this. Next Friday, we have our volunteer show. We have six different organizations that are looking for volunteers for the fall. We want to give them a couple of minutes to tell you what they're about, what they're looking for. I get it all the time. Hey, I want to give back. I want to do something in, in sport stuff. So we got six different groups from officiating to ring at to all over the place. So uh, really excited about this. And so uh, if you got somebody in your life that's looking to give back or you're thinking about giving back, listen to that show. Maybe we might be able to pair you up with a really good organization. Uh, RJ, you did it. You got it to the end of the show and we're still on the air. So thank God for you, sir. <laughs> I made it. Uh, are you Thanks, made it. RJ. RJ doing it for solo for the first time. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you on Monday. Thanks for joining us.